0: You know, when I study a passage of scripture for a sermon, I look for a, a phrase or a thought. You know, in songwriting, I didn't write this down, that's called the hook. You're looking for the hook. You're looking for the, the one thing that you can hang your sermon upon to try and develop a theme. And as I was looking to, uh, at Acts 7, and it's 41 through 50 today, what intrigued me was that the Israelites rejoiced at the works of their hands. Now, last week I explained how I've made my living my entire life by the work of my hands. I don't think there's a job in construction that I have not had a go at. I do not do all of them professionally for clients. I won't do a tile job for you, thank you. I will do my own tile. I don't think my tile work is up to par. Almost everything I will do. Uh, I was reading some hoity-toity uh, highbrow website this week, and I don't remember what it was. It wasn't on uh, the sermons of Christianity. It wasn't on politics. I, I can't remember what it was on. But but the uh, writer started out by saying, "I doubt anyone reading these words has ever framed a wall." And I sort of, you know, figuratively in my mind looked around, you know, and, you know, raised a little hand here, you know. I framed a wall. And he followed it by saying, uh, he said, I'll bet none of you have ever wired up a plug. Well, I would guess that everybody here has wired up a plug, but my hand goes a little bit higher. I've I've wired plugs. I mean, I've probably wired a hundred houses, front to back and he says, and and surely none of you has ever replaced a toilet now hold on, come on I am the past master of changing toilets, I've got it down, I know that you have to have a black plastic trash sack to sit the toilet in when you pull it off the little stinky drain I know how these things go I I can replace toilets in my sleep and sometimes it looks like that is exactly what I've done Um, but you know The point the writer was making was that people are ever increasingly unknowledgeable about things that used to be commonplace. Okay? A hundred years ago, this country was largely agrarian. They made their money off of agriculture. And I don't know how many of your grandparents had farms, but mine did. My grandfather knew. Largely, how to do everything. I won't say his framing was top-notch, but actually probably was, knowing my grandfather. My grandfather, on the other side, ran the first electrical company in the San Fernando Valley so that my great-great-grandmother could live up on her ranch that she homesteaded in the 1860s, read about how to run a telephone line, and they ran the telephone lines five miles into the hill so my great-great-grandmother, at the advanced age of 72 or so, could communicate with her children down in the valley in case she had a problem. Farmers read about it, do it. They had to do their own electrical work. Things like this weren't hired back then. They did their own plumbing. Now, mind you houses were still common, so there wasn't a whole lot of plumbing there. but you know as it came in, they ran their own plumbing. Welding to, to this day, the one thing I am sad about is I do not know how to weld or braise. okay It's the one thing I really do not know how to do. But a farmer had to weld and braise animal butchery. Ooh, As as the markets tighten up, as as certain things start going off the shelf, I sit here saying, how do you butcher a deer? Because I have not done it. And we might find out someday, soon, that it might be a skill that was worth knowing. They had to know how things work just to keep themselves alive. Uh, The average person now knows none of that. Uh, Should the time come that people need to take care of the necessities of life themselves, the learning curve is going to be steep and costly. The things that we've forgotten how to do. When the burning time comes... My family may be eating rice and beans, but I'm a carpenter and we will have a roof over our heads, okay? So, am I proud of the labor of my hands? Well, sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm proud of it. I've built at least a dozen homes on this mountain. I can drive you by them someday. i built at least that many down the hill. I've, um, Built shopping centers from Oceanside to the San Fernando Valley. Uh, Arby's restaurants, and they're delicious, from Hollywood to Bakersfield. Done kitchen remodels from Escondido to Berkeley. In 50 years of building, I've been on so many jobs that I can't remember them all. I've had people stop me in Jensen's or in Staters and start saying, Mike, the work you did for me is still lovely after all these years and i have no idea who they are it's as though i've never seen these people before in my life you know alzheimer's makes every day new what can i say but i do not i do not even know these people so yes i'm proud of the work of my hands but i do not rejoice over the work of my hands in today's passage of scripture and this is my hook We'll look at some people who rejoiced. And it's in the very first verse, so we will get there today. Who rejoiced in the work of their hands. Now, we will not quite finish the defense of Stephen today. But we will finish everything but the shouting. And I do mean the shouting, so. We'll read completely through what we're going to cover today. And then we'll go back and look at it verse by verse. Uh, Last week we saw... How Stephen accused the Hebrews of rejecting Moses and in their hearts returned to Egypt. Verse 39 concluded saying, But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him, and I still love that line as for this fellow Moses. And oh gosh, that guy, whatever became of Moses. Verse forty one through fifty continues. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing, rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship and the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch, and the star of your god, Raphan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon." Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? The answer there is yes, by the way. But verse 41 says, And they made a calf in those days, and offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. To be proud of the works of your hands in 1300 BC, or today, depends on what you made with them. Now, I built houses. We all build different things with our hands and by our hands, I do mean with our lives. We all build something with our lives. All work is honorable. Well, almost all. The Israelites rejoiced over building false gods. That is not honorable. That is abominable. And I don't know if you know this, and I don't have examples in here, but when the Israelites, or Moses, or whoever writing scripture, would mention false gods, they would use a three-letter prefix for the word abominable. You would read this and you would see, before the name of the false god, you would see abominable. And the word abominable back then meant child sacrifice that's what abominable meant and when you saw these three letters prefixing to a god's name it was a god of child sacrifice our work is honorable if we do not build false gods or turn the labor of our hands into false gods themselves because work can replace God in our lives just as money can, or possessions can, or any number of things that get in the worship of us get in the way of us worshiping God in the manner that we should. It seems that humans can turn anything into a false God. Uh, the Hebrews happened to use gold. As so many do to this day, the golden calf that the Hebrews fashioned showed that their hearts had indeed returned to Egypt. A calf was one of the gods of Egypt. And notice who they persuaded to fashion their false god, and I want to pay perfectly good attention to this. Now, Aaron says to Moses, I threw the gold into the fire and a calf came out. Okay, maybe maybe not maybe Moses threw it into the fire in a mold of a calf you know but, uh, so who was Aaron now the Israelites say "Ah, this fellow Moses well Aaron doesn't have that Moses is his brother Aaron knows who Moses is Aaron again knows where Moses is He's on the hill, on the mountain, talking to God. Aaron himself knew God. God spoke to Aaron as he spoke to Moses. He told Aaron to go out and meet Moses as he was coming into the land. He demonstrated to Aaron what he was to do before Pharaoh. He gave Aaron the words to speak to Pharaoh. Aaron New God. And yet, he fashioned false gods made of gold. And one more thing about Aaron. He was the high priest of the Jews. He was the high priest. He was the one who would go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. But he was the one who constructed. Gods of gold for the people. My point here is do not blindly follow popes or priests or pastors. Search the scriptures for yourselves. Many in our day, in Stephen's day, in Moses' day, have perished following wolves in clerical clothing. We proclaim in this church an adherence to sola scriptura, scripture alone, right? Not tradition, church or man's, not religious pronouncements from the chair of the Pope, ex cathedra, not ecclesiastical formula, but scripture alone It is the only sure guide to walk with God. All else is to follow Aaron's false gods. So here in verse 42, it says, But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. And I'll stop there. From the very beginning of Judaism, the And this is the very beginning of Judaism. The nation of Israel turned to the worship of false prophets and idols. From the very beginning. In the wilderness. One commenter called this worship Israel's first and worst sin against God. Stephen says that God, at this very beginning, turned away from Israel and gave them over to the worship of the host of heaven. And I read this, the way I read everything, quickly and say, well, what's wrong with that? The host of heaven. He turned them over to the worship of the host of heaven. How bad can that be? Well, the host of heaven is not the heavenly host. Okay? The heavenly host came and and serenaded Jesus at his birth. The host of heaven refers to the various sun gods, moon gods, and the worship of stars among the pagan people. That is what turning over to the worship of the hosts of heaven means. To worship the host of heaven is to worship the creation and not the creator. The Apostle Paul explained it this way in Romans 1, 20-22. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And we're talking about people who are not Christian and not Jews, but the, the pagan people who should have seen In the creation that God made, the light of the Creator. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And I think that uh, Paul might have just been getting started there. But because of this worship of the creation and not the creator, verse 24 continues, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to be uh, to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. And if this does not remind you of the state of things today, you're not paying close attention. I, Paul finishes in uh, verse 29 through 32 deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And that's just not Congress today he's talking about, but it's all of us. So, this mindset of worshipping the creation continues today. Uh, We have the Sierra Club, who is doing more harm than it is good. I might have started with a noble goal: The green environment, environmentalism, Uh, the green movement I meant uh, of um, no fossil fuels LGBTQ all of this flows from the rejection of God in verse 43 Stephen quotes from the prophet Amos from the 8th century BC uh, when Amos was writing and in this passage God asks a rhetorical question Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan and the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Now, we've talked about Moloch before, Uh, the high places of Moloch where, where child sacrifice took place, which God abhorred. Rephan, that is mentioned here, was a sun god. But the interesting thing about this quote from Amos is that it's not a verbatim quote, but an updated for AD 35 version for the people hearing and for the Sanhedrin. Amos said, in Amos 5, 25 through 27, he said, Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Good so far. You shall take up Siketh, your king, not Moloch, and and your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God of hosts. So Amos said, Siketh, your king, but Stephen updates this with Moloch. Amos says, "Kian, your star god, but Stephen changes it to Rephan, the known star god of the day. And notice also that Amos says God will send Israel into exile beyond Damascus, but Stephen says beyond Babylon. Stephen preaches Amos with an application to the world he and his audience knew when Amos wrote his the Babylonian exile had not happened so Amos uh, prophecies that they'll be sent beyond Damascus well they were sent beyond Damascus but they were sent beyond Babylon as well so Stephen updates that for his audience but but Stephen preaches Amos with an application to the world he and his audiences knew. But what I love about this is that Amos did it before him. Amos did not quote Exodus. Amos preached it to the people of his time. Sikath and Keun are not mentioned in Exodus. It's just the calf, the lunar bull that is mentioned. Amos and Stephen preached the event updated for their times. So I just want to point that out. That that if you see a contradiction like this and you sit back and you say, Stephen, this is a contradiction in the Bible. You preached this wrong. No. Stephen was preaching to the people of his day. Amos was preaching to the people of his day. They were speaking God's truth updated from the Exodus story to when they were speaking it. But back to God's rhetorical question. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness? The answer is no. If you are worshipping any false god, you cannot worship the one true God. And I'm going to say that we just went through and we saw the sacrifices that God commanded in Leviticus for our Old Testament reading today, Right? So they brought sacrifices to God. In Isaiah 66, 3 through 4, God tells what sacrifices from false worshipers look like to him. Okay? This is Isaiah 66, 3 through 4. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. God says, if you bring an offering to him, But you're worshipping false gods. Your offering of an ox is as though you killed a man. He says, he who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. We're not getting any better here. He says, he who presents a grain offering like one who offers pigs blood. Pigs were unclean. This is what God says a grain offering looks to him like from a man with an unclean heart. He who makes a memorial offering of uh, frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, (coughs) they did not listen, but they did what what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. So there you go for false worshiping. Let's keep away from that when we can, right? Stephen next turns to the charge of blaspheming the temple. Verse 44 says, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it. According to the pattern that he had seen. Here is how God chose to meet with his people in a simple tabernacle, the tent of witness. Uh, God did not ask for or want a permanent structure. It suited his purposes to go with his people where he would send them and not have them be stuck in one place. God did not dwell in the tabernacle either. It was the tent of meeting. The Jews might say this is where God lives, but that's not what God said. Where was God? God was out leading them in a pillar of in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He was not in the tabernacle. He would meet with his priests there. It was the tent of meeting. Verse forty five continues with Israel's history. 45 says, Our fathers, in turn, brought up with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. The temple was not immediately constructed when they came to the land of Canaan, the land that would become the nation of Israel. Instead, the tabernacle crossed over with the Israelites in about 1300 B.C., And even after taking possession of the land, the tabernacle served as the meeting place between God and man. Stephen continues in 45b and 46. And, And so it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. He points out that even to the end of the revered King David, to the end of his reign, there was no temple. David died some 300 years after the Israelites entered Canaan. The temple that had achieved supernatural status among the Jews did not even exist for the first 300 years of the nation of Israel. To put that in perspective, our own declaration of independence and revolutionary war, now so far in the past, was was 246 years ago. Okay, we're closer to that than the, than the building of the temple was to the coming in to, of, uh, to Israel. 47 says, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. So we have seen what human hands have built in Israel's past. They made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and rejoiced in the work of their hands. Stephen then proceeds to quote from Isaiah 66 about the temple, what the Jews saw as God's dwelling place. Isaiah 66 says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Man made nothing but a poor imitation of God's true throne room, heaven. Even Solomon, who was allowed to build the temple, uh, knew that. In 1 Kings eight twenty seven through 30 Solomon says... But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place and when you hear, forgive. This is perhaps the high point of Solomon's life. That's my own observation, by the way. The high point of any man's life being when he is most in tune to God's will. Shortly after this, Solomon will reestablish, as we've seen before, the high places of Moloch where child sacrifice takes place. He will apostate at the end of his life. Does he come back to God in the end? We do not know. But we do know that God has... 400 years before, turned the nation over to the worship of the hosts of heaven to the point that Solomon's sons and grandsons sacrificed their own sons in the temple itself. So, so much for the work of man's hands. But as I was thinking earlier about what I have personally built in the last 50 years and and hundreds of buildings, so far as I know, out of all those buildings, none has been torn down. And, hey, that's 50 years now. That's been pretty good. None has been torn down. None yet has burned down. I'm very happy about that, okay? My electrical is held. And none yet have fallen down, Okay? As far as I know, to this day, all the works of my hands still exist. You know, my family has only lived in houses that I've built for the past 40 years. Uh, Even when we rented a house while I was building another one, we rented a house that I had built. My daughter, Megan, had never lived in a house that I had not built until she went away to college and lived on campus. And yet, I would not want to dwell in one of my houses forever. Okay? Because I know that they will grow old. They will rot at the foundation, despite my best efforts. The roof will fail, and the plaster will crack. Do not set your sights on buildings made by human hands, not a temple or a church or a house. In John 14, 2-6, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you, and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Trust the house of that the Lord has made. Man makes with his hands buildings that will perish. God alone builds that which is eternal. Let's close in prayer.